Hello and welcome to another episode of Sound Strategic, the IISS's podcast series. I'm your host, Maya Nowens, and in today's episode, I'll be speaking with Dr. Tim Huxley on how COVID-19 has impacted countries in Southeast Asia and the wider Asia-Pacific region. Tim is the executive director of the IISS Asia office in Singapore. He leads the IISS Asia's research program and has worked for many years researching security affairs in Asia, with a particular focus on the defense policies of Southeast Asian nations. Thank you very much for joining us today, Tim. Thanks, Mayor. Uh, glad to be uh, glad to have the chance to talk to you. So maybe just to start us off, I was wondering whether you could share with us how the situation in Southeast Asia has evolved in the last few weeks with regards to the COVID pandemic. Well, that's an interesting question, uh, partly because it's uh, it's challenging in the sense that, uh, as in many areas uh, of Southeast Asian life, it's very difficult. To, to generalize about this subregion because the the countries in the region are so varied in terms of their their size and their culture and their uh, their political system systems and their uh, relations with the with the rest of the world and their levels of development um, but uh, i i think the main point is that um, perhaps com- compared with um, compared with the situation in in Europe and North America, uh, overall Southeast Asia has done uh, pretty well uh, in terms of uh, its uh, the, the way that it's it's coped with the uh, COVID-19 crisis. Uh, there's a lot of variation across the, the region though and uh, some countries maybe are, are not doing so well. Um, I suppose particularly uh, Indonesia and the and the Philippines, uh, where there have been uh, quite a few thousands of uh, uh, recorded cases uh, in each country and uh, and several hundred deaths. So Indonesia has a, around seven thousand five hundred cases recorded. Philippines around six thousand seven hundred. Um, uh, Indonesia 635 deaths, the Philippines 446, um, but but I think there are good reasons for thinking that in each case uh, there are many more um, uh, in, infections uh, in, in each country and that the, the figures we have um, probably uh, show uh, only part of a, of a much more worrying uh, picture. Uh, but it does look like we're 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 seeing deaths in the, in in the hundreds or or few thousands uh, at most in in each of those countries and um, those those are the worst uh, national incidences of of COVID in the region in in uh, in other Southeast Asian countries um, in some cases looking at several thousand infections Malaysia and Thailand um, in uh, Vietnam and Myanmar and Brunei, maybe only hundreds, but again in, in Myanmar's case maybe there are reasons for doubting the official statistics. Um, uh, the, the interesting case is, uh, is Singapore um, where we now have more than 10,000 recorded infections in a country of uh, only around 6 million people. Um, and and the number of infections here has gone up rapidly over the last 10 days or so. 
and uh, and that's raised a lot of questions about about Singapore's approach. That's really interesting. Um, maybe turning back to the the dis the differences in experiences between Southeast Asian countries that you mentioned, I was wondering whether any conclusions have been drawn as to why those differences exist. You've mentioned um, different levels of socioeconomic development, perhaps different um, uh, abilities to um, leverage national health care. Um, I'm wondering whether, of course, the ability to um, control and monitor uh, movement of people and, and, and enforce social distancing has been been a factor. Can you perhaps speak to some of the key challenges that, that some of these cases or countries where we've seen um, a, a number, a, a higher number of deaths and infections, um, what, what the factors might have been that lead to that? Yes. Well, the the two key countries here are Indonesia and the Philippines. And I, I think in each case, um, the the relatively high figures uh, r reflect um, uh, a relatively relaxed uh, attitude in the early stages on the on the part of the governments in in both cases. Um, whereas, um, contrastingly, in uh, two other uh, major Southeast Asian countries, Malaysia and Thailand, um, the, the governments have been much more. Uh, much more active, uh, particularly in Thailand's case, and also in Vietnam's case, of of course, um, where where the the government has been re remarkably um, successful um, in controlling the the level of infection. It's been it's been very very active from an early stage. And here in Europe, uh, we are um, constantly talking about the role of regional institutions. So uh, the role that the European Unity uh, Union has played, whether European unity has seen challenges posed by responses and cooperation when it comes to um, combating uh, the 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 epidemics in member state countries, and I'm not going to compare uh, and equate uh, ASEAN with the European Union, of course. But has there been a role of ASEAN that you've seen throughout this crisis, or has it been a very much uh, national effort? Hmm. I, th I think the responses have been very much national, as they have as they have been in Europe, and that ASEAN's role has been. Um, uh, no, no better or worse than the Europeans' role in relation to this this crisis. That um, I think it's a characteristic of responses to COVID nineteen across the world that uh, national responses have predominated, and that uh, regional organisations and also international organisations have been largely missing in action. Do you foresee that ASEAN perhaps could play a, a role as countries? Um, uh, find exit strategies, and um, perhaps it's too early to say, but but might there be a role for ASEAN coming out of this? Uh, no, I don't think so. I don't, I don't think ASEAN's role is going to be very significant in in relation to this this crisis. I think it's it's widely known that ASEAN has faced many challenges uh, uh, in 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 relation to some of the other major uh, issues uh, facing Southeast Asian governments, particularly in terms of. Uh, their their responses to uh, 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 territorial disputes in the South China Sea, um, and uh, even even on uh, other other security issues, uh, ASEAN's role has been uh, fairly um, fairly minimal. There have been real difficulties in uh, coordinating uh, national responses and um, 
I, I don't see ASEAN playing a major uh, role uh, in response to uh, this crisis. Uh, of course, uh, ASEAN, ASEAN governments have uh, remained in contact with each other, and there are a lot of uh, uh, there are a lot of bilateral contacts between governments. But at the multilateral level, although, although they they have had some uh, virtual meetings and have discussed coordination and uh, uh, the the need for it, um, it's I don't think it's going to have a, a significant role to play here. And how are national governments, um, leaders in particular um, of, of Southeast Asian states, um, being impacted by this in, in public opinion polls? Um, we know that in some countries, um, government official lead, national leaders have seen an uptick in popularity, sometimes because of their response and other times despite their response. Um, uh, becoming more popular in public opinion polls and um, in others, uh, notably Japan, we've seen a recent um, downtick in uh, in uh, Shinzo Abe's uh, Abe Shinzo's um, popu uh, popularity ratings. Um, how are governments in Southeast Asia faring? Well, in general, um, that sort of popularity polling is is not a is 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 not. Uh, uh, it either doesn't it doesn't happen for 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 legal reasons um, or it, or it's not widespread. It's not really a factor in Southeast Asia. Um, but I think the um, perhaps a, a larger point is that um, it is important for Southeast Asian governments, as it is for governments anywhere else, to uh, respond as effectively as they can. Uh, to this crisis, and they face governments in in this subregion face the same challenges that governments anywhere else face. That on the one hand, um, they they need to um, be seen uh, to care about uh, saving lives and protecting the health of their citizens, um, but at the same time, they need to um, look after their country's economies um, because the the well-being of their their citizens and uh, who in who in some cases in Southeast Asia are, are also electors um, and even if they're not um, uh, electors uh, regimes uh, need to be conscious of uh, public attitudes uh, towards um, uh, towards the the state uh, so um, it is important for them uh, to to do as well as they can in this crisis. And again, it's, it's about protecting lives, but also uh, also protecting livelihoods. And I think one of the one of the really important issues, the most important issue for regional governments, is to get that um, is is to do both to protect lives and to protect the economy at the same time. And that's that's proving very very difficult because. Um, in in practical terms, it it means what what sort of measures um, do you impose in in terms of uh, in terms of lockdowns, um, in terms of uh, curfews, and so on, in order to maintain uh, social distancing, and how do you how do you do that in a way that uh, doesn't uh, kill economic activity at the same time? 
No, you're absolutely right to say that that's a challenge that I, every country um, is currently uh, battling and, and struggling with, getting that timing right of reopening the economy and, and relaxing social distancing measures. Um, I know that that's an ongoing debate in, in the uni here in the United Kingdom at the moment. Um, but maybe turning to um, countries that are uh, playing a proactive role, perhaps, in um, sh making a show of assisting other countries struggling the, with the pandemic. Um, in recent weeks, we've seen China uh, export very publicly um, uh, a lot of its PP, uh, PPE equipment um, and, and medical aid. Um, has China taken an active role in helping Southeast Asian countries during this crisis? And what has the reception of this Chinese outreach been like in the region? It hasn't really been a major phenomenon in, in this region. Um, there, there are countries with, with especially um, uh, tight relationships with, um, with China, no, notably, uh, notably Cambodia. Um, but in, in general, there's there's great ambivalence amongst Southeast Asian governments in their in their relations with with China. But but I think the the, the key thing to bear in mind is that um, so far countries in in Southeast Asia haven't really um, faced a crisis on the on the scale that European countries and the United States have in relation to. To COVID, we're 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 talking about um, generally we're talking about thousands of infections and uh, and scores or hundreds of people dying. In in Southeast Asia, we're not talking generally about many tens of thousands of infections and thousands of people uh, dying. So the scale the scale is quite is quite different, um, and. Uh, I think it's true that in Indonesia and the Philippines, governments are uh, are facing uh, something of a, of a of a crisis, and it's a, and it's a very important issue in in Singapore and Malaysia and 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 Thailand. But but it's not the extreme sort of situation uh, at the moment that we that we've seen in Western countries, and which has um, provided a uh, an, an opportunity for China um, to to step in and and offer assistance. That's a market uh, markedly different experience than than what we've seen in in Europe. You're you're correct. Um, and here, I think there's been a concern about um, China's attempt to use uh, mask diplomacy or medical aid diplomacy to generate a new narrative over its handling of COVID nineteen. Not only um, in in relation to its response uh, to its national epidemic uh, earlier this year, um, but also in terms of where the disease, uh, where the virus originated from, um, whether that was China or as certain Chinese diplomats have stated, Italy or perhaps even the United States. Um, are these types of narratives uh, resonating in Southeast Asian uh, countries? No, I don't think in Southeast Asia there's there's huge interest in in that um, in that conflict of of, of narratives. Um, I, I think it's it's um, it's it's widely it's widely understood in in this region that the uh, that the virus originated in in China. Many of the early infections in Southeast Asia uh, apparently came. 
uh, with uh, visitors from from China and specifically from uh, from Wuhan. Um, so I don't think that's um, I don't think there's any uh, controversy about that here. I was wondering um, very early on in China's epidemic, um, we saw around the world a discussion of whether flights and borders uh, should be closed, and particularly with regards to uh, movement of um, persons uh, from China abroad. And I noted that there were several countries in Southeast Asia bordering China who had not closed their borders early on. Do you think what what was happening there? Was that a political decision or was that a, a, a more um, uh, an economic one? Well, I think the same as every same as everywhere else. Um, um, Southeast Asian countries uh, were there. there when this in, when this infection began to take hold in China, there was uncertainty about how serious it was and how infectious it was, how easily it would, how easily it could spread to um, countries in this in this region. There was um, there was a concern to keep uh, to keep economies going to um, uh, allow visitors from from China, who are a very important part of the uh, tourist trade. In, in Southeast Asia to continue um, to continue entering the country, and as it became uh, uh, as the uh, COVID nineteen crisis in uh, Wuhan and the surrounding area and other parts of China became more more evident, there was uh, escalating concern in Southeast Asian countries that had significant numbers of Chinese visitors, and they um, they. They began to make it more difficult uh, for for visitors from China to to come into the the country. But uh, I think it's probably I think it's probably reading reading too much into the responses of Southeast Asian countries to to um, overlay some sort of geopolitical angle on that. Okay. But maybe move, maybe moving on to um, existing diplomatic tensions in the region. Um, before the pandemic, many countries in Southeast Asia had ongoing disputes with China over its claims to the South China Sea. How has the crisis impacted this? I think the main way that it's impacted this is that that Southeast Asian governments um, have been uh, focusing, um, like governments elsewhere in the world, on uh, their responses to the the challenge from the the virus, uh, and that they maybe their bandwidth has been restricted, so they have um, they have relatively less attention to uh, to to focus on um, on on the security sphere. Um, so uh, I mean, it is clear that. Um, while that's been happening in Southeast Asia, uh, China has uh, apparently maintained its activities uh, in the South China Sea um, and has uh, maintained its uh, its pressure on the on the claims of Southeast Asian countries. And we've seen over the the last several days that there's been uh, something of an escalation in tension between uh, between Malaysia and uh, and China, um, and I think other uh, 
other Southeast Asian claimants in the South China scene, notably, uh, notably uh, Vietnam and, uh, and the Philippines have, have uh, also been concerned about continuing Chinese activities. But I, I, I'm not sure that there's, there's any evidence that the Chinese have, um, have escalated their activities. I think it's more that they've um, continued uh, doing what they've been uh, doing uh, for, for many years uh, in the South China Sea. So you don't think that this um, crisis and uh, the potentially um, um, the the fact that national governments are, are perhaps distracted by their national um, epidemics um, and the COVID-19 outbreaks in their respective countries has um, provided China with an opportunity to perhaps push the boundaries a little bit um, of what it can get away with in the South China Sea with regards to its activities and claims. I think one. Uh, I think one. One implication of the fact that that Southeast Asian governments um, are are somewhat distracted at the moment uh, uh, may be that that China can get away with more, um, uh, and and maybe that explains why uh, the the United States um, seems to have been uh, increasing its naval presence as well to. Um, in, in a way to uh, preclude uh, China from uh, benefiting from the distraction of regional countries. Right. No, that's that. I would very much agree with you on that, um, uh, because, of course, whilst um, we've seen reports of outbreaks on um, U.S. carrier uh, carrier vessels, um, we, of course, haven't seen a complete withdrawal from from the United States um, with regards to its naval presence in the region. Um, do you think that this was also the case for China? I've seen a, a few reports of how the PLA has been impacted um, by the outbreak of COVID-19 in China, uh, namely supply chains for the defense technological and industrial base being disrupted like any other industrial base, um, uh, that there were outbreaks on, uh, on smaller uh, PLA Navy vessels. Of course, the military itself has been put into action in China um, with particular note to its logistics uh, units and its medical units. How has the PLA been affected from your perspective? Well, it's much harder to know than it is in the, in the case of the uh, U.S. armed forces because of the openness of the, uh, of the American uh, system um, compared to the, the very closed and secretive nature of the, uh, of the Chinese PLA. Um, but I think it's reasonable to to assume that um, they they're facing a similar sort of challenge, and that they they've been f facing it since um, rather earlier than the Americans have. Um, uh, however, I mean, given the given the rigorous uh, procedures that, uh, that that China is evidently able to put in place to um, to control uh, infection, um, uh, I expect that those are going to be um, uh, have those have been applied uh, within the within the PLA um, with um, a strong degree of military as well as party discipline. So, um, so I would I would expect um, that the PLA has done a good job in. Uh, in controlling infection and uh, ensuring that its uh, operational readiness uh, remains as high as possible 
it, it, it could be that the Chinese have done a, a better job of that than, uh, than the Americans have been able to do, but that's just speculative. And how do you think that is going to change the power balances um, around the South China Sea, but, but also uh, more widely in the Asia Pacific, do you think, um, between uh, claimant states, but perhaps also the United States and China? Well, I think the big, the big question is, um, is how, um, is is how COVID nineteen ultimately affects the e economies of the countries concerned, and the, the the big issue is um, what will be the the relative um, damage done to the, the the Chinese economy and the U.S. economy and the the Japanese economy, and how will that that then feed through into their capacity to uh, maintain uh, their their defense efforts um, and to men and to continue the, the modernization of their forces and to uh, uh, support uh, a, a high level of, of operational readiness um, so uh, in terms of the in terms of the overall regional power balance I think the the big danger is that um, this uh, COVID-19 crisis could could lead to um, a, a really uh, damaging medium to, to long-term uh, economic impact in the United States that could ultimately uh, undermine the uh, United States uh, capacity and, and possibly even will uh, to remain uh, vitally involved in the security of the Asia-Pacific region um, and that uh, at the same time that that happened if uh, China uh, maintained its uh, capacity and will uh, to um, strengthen its its posture in the in the region and to continue its uh, its drive for strategic supremacy in the Asia-Pacific region uh, then I think that could be uh, significantly destabilizing. Absolutely, and of course, um, even before COVID nineteen, there there was a question I think about the absolute guarantee of American um, commitment to the region, in particular its 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 relationship with Southeast Asia um, during the Trump administration, um, and how strong that commitment actually is, um, whether deeds match words. Um, I was wondering then what. A, what Southeast Asian countries' um, perceptions have been towards the U.S. and China's handling of the crisis. I know that, um, not to generalize, of course, again, but Southeast Asian countries have been wary of um, being put in the middle and choosing sides in, uh, in the era of great power competition between the United States and China. Um, what have their perceptions been throughout um, the pandemic of how the U.S. has handled uh, the crisis and what its role has been in, in the region during the crisis? Well, again, going going back to the point that I made at the beginning, it's very difficult to generalize about Southeast Asia. On, on the other hand, um, I think it is fair to say that uh, China has a strong and fairly persuasive narrative on the way that it's handled uh, this this crisis um, and it is uh, it is evident uh, that they they do seem to have brought it under control they do seem to be uh, gradually returning to some sort of normality in 
in China. Um, I mean, this is a hugely contentious area, and we've we've heard um, all sorts of, of of claims from Western sources that the uh, Chinese have um, actually s suffered significantly more infections uh, than they've admitted, and and more deaths. Uh, however, there's no evidence of that. Um, the, these are all suggestions and al allegations. Um, and I don't think that, that Southeast Asians have been persuaded by uh, Western uh, allegations uh, about China's under-accounting for COVID. So I think the, 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 the Chinese narrative um, is, is not particularly challenged in, in Southeast Asia. Um, and, and what Southeast Asians um, see is that the, most Western countries, most of the larger Western countries do seem to have suffered very badly from this. I mean, with dreadful um, levels of infection. And it could be said um, that the level of, of competency in dealing with this challenge uh, seems to have been much higher in China than it has been in Western countries. Yeah, I think the point that you make about the accuracy of numbers and reporting is is a very um, a very good one. Um, I think underreporting, um, perhaps um, you know whether intentional or not, has been reporting has been difficult because of changing uh, methods of testing, uh, changing um, uh, definitions. Um, an understanding of the virus as this has moved along, um, underreporting perhaps of deaths not in hospitals that might have been attributed to, to COVID-19. So I think this is, you're right to say that this is a very complicated issue that, that, that many countries, not just China, are struggling with. Um, perhaps to end on uh, the last question, um, returning back to um, politics and in, in some of um, the key um, Southeast Asian uh, countries uh, that are that are currently facing the, the largest challenges. Do you think that there will be um, domestic political consequences in, for the current governments in charge? Uh, will we see new leaders emerge, do you think? I think this is a very early stage in a, what's going to be a pr protracted uh, challenge for governments around the world, in, including in Southeast Asia. Uh, the the countries where this uh, could develop into a political challenge, though, um, would would probably be Indonesia and the Philippines, um, where um, th where this could could develop into um, uh, a crisis that um, does uh, undermine uh, the, the the credibility. Of the of the existing governments, um, uh, one one very important aspect of this, of, of course, will be how it affects the economy. So, um, if 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 these governments of uh, some of the larger Southeast Asian countries want to um, maintain their country's um, economic vitality and health, um, they might need to take. Uh, risks in terms of um, not uh, not clamping down in terms of uh, maintaining social distancing. So 
um, one way or another, um, they they could face major major problems over the over the coming months. Um, and it, it it's clear that um, also because of what's happening in the wider region and the wider world, their economies are going to be impacted. So I think the 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 two countries to watch at the moment uh, are the Philippines and and Indonesia. Uh, Elsewhere in the region, um, at the moment, the problem looks um, relatively um, well managed and uh, uh, under control. Um, uh, I, I should just mention the the, the specific case of, of Singapore. Uh, there's been a lot of uh, publicity over the last uh, 10 days or so about the uh, rising numbers of infections recorded here. Um, that that's true, and uh, nominally uh, Singapore now, with slightly more than ten thousand infections, has the the largest number of any Southeast Asian countries. Um, but I think the num the real numbers in Indonesia and the Philippines are much larger than the numbers recorded for for Singapore. Um, even so, uh, uh, ten thousand one hundred cases is a lot uh, for a for a country of of six million, but um, the key point about this is that these these infections are largely in the um, uh, within the community of um, immigrant workers, uh, the, particularly the construction workers, uh, rather than in the the wider Singapore community. So I think there's still um, very much a sense in Singapore that um, the the situation. Um, has been has been managed effectively, um, and that the government um, has done a good uh, a good job in um, in responding to this crisis. And I think it's particularly striking that um, even what three months uh, into the COVID nineteen challenge, only eleven people have died in Singapore. And I think that's a a testament to the the way that um, Healthcare has been mobilised and uh, focused on on those who are who are sick. Um, and of course, I assume that um, Singapore has learned from its previous experience uh, with SARS in the past, um, building on that. Yes, I mean that's a, that's a that's a good point, and I think one that could be applied um, to other countries in Southeast Asia, um, and and also perhaps to the East Asian region more generally and maybe that's one factor that overall helps to uh, helps to explain why Asian countries have in general um, performed uh, quite well in in responding to this uh, COVID challenge. Maybe then a very very last question um, on that note do you think that um, there might be a longer-term geopolitical effect of the crisis um, uh, by bringing more authority to East Asia in their handling because of their handling of, uh, of COVID-19? That's a big question. Um, I do think that there, in the big picture, there might be questions about the effectiveness of, of governance uh, in uh, Asian countries very broadly defined um, compared with 
compared with Western countries. I think the issue is what, how, how is it that um, Asian countries, which one would have thought um, would have suffered more seriously than Western countries uh, from this uh, virus, have, have by and large, at least so far, um, uh, in many cases managed to respond to it more effectively than Western countries. And that, that, that may raise some, some interesting questions about the, the nature and effectiveness of governance, which may benefit um, some uh, political systems in, in Southeast Asia, which, uh, which are, are not uh, liberal democratic uh, regimes. Well, I think that is a very big picture and um, very good point to end on, and one that I'm sure that we at the AAAS, both in London and at the AAAS Asia office in Singapore, will be tracking as the COVID-19 pandemic um, continues to develop uh, in the months to come. Thank you so much, Tim, for joining us today and sharing your insights into the region. It's been a fascinating discussion. Thank you very much, Maya. And thanks to our listeners for joining us today. Please also subscribe to Sound Strategic for more in-depth discussions just like this. And to keep up to date with the latest trends in defense, international security, and armed conflicts, please follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. See you all next time and stay safe.